edition of Pro Football Talk Live. And here it is. The Milk Crate Challenge, Indianapolis Colts mascot in full uniform, clown shoes on, up he goes. When I saw this, I thought that maybe they had been glued together, that there had been some sort of trick there, that that little wobble was just for our benefit to make us think that it was real. But there it is, the mascot, and then proof. That it was not an optical illusion. That's he impressive. gets it done. He says, take that. That's oh, we impressive. we took away the part where he, he hits the camera and the camera goes down. Uh, what is the name of the Colts mascot? Uh, a little horsey. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't. I have no. It's blue? blue. Blue. It's your boy, Blue. My boy, Blue. But he's not my boy. Okay. But yeah, that is like, have you been watching any of that stuff on social media? Like people doing that and busting their butts and everything? It's horrifying horrifying is right it really is it is horrifying the amount of alcohol that i would need to consume to even try it would make it impossible for me to get past the first two steps i i saw somewhere that somebody died in all seriousness is that right some woman did it and she fell and she hit her head and she died she died yeah i've seen some nasty falls where i go man they're so lucky they didn't break a leg break their shoulder whatever but uh yeah i'm not going to be trying that anytime soon certainly not no way. Meanwhile, we did not plan this to do twinsies black shirts. Twinsies. Although I did, I did acting on a dare. Yeah, decide to emulate Christopher David Sims in honor of his upcoming birthday with the top button. Maybe that's why we're wearing black because Chris turns forty-one <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that that doesn't bother him at all. So. uh yeah, off we you go. look good. I on like the Thursday way you look edition. with the top button. It's a good look for you. You can I, pull it off on this shirt, especially. Uh, I, 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 I don't, I don't want to. I'm doing it just for you. Thank you. Because your birthday is coming up. In Thank honor you. of you, I'll do it until I stop. At some point in the next two hours, I probably will say enough's enough and undo the top button. All right, let's get to it though. Okay. As we get you ready for week three of. The preseason starts Friday night, not tonight, just Friday, Saturday, Sunday as they wrap up the preseason. And Joe Burrow, Bengals quarterback, coming back from the ACL tear. Will we see him? Will we not see him this weekend? Looks like maybe we will. Here's Burrow talking about his status earlier this week. This was the plan the whole time. We just didn't want to tell you guys. So um, I'm excited to get out there and, and have game game type feel. Um, I think it's important to going into this last preseason game to be as close as you can to having a game-like feel. I mean, I'm going to be in the huddle during game one, so I need to be out there for, for the first play of this game. So I'm excited. We'll see how long he plays. Remember, there have been concerns about not the physical recovery from last year's ACL tear that he suffered in Washington, and they were just back in Washington this past weekend for a preseason game. The mental challenge of putting that left knee out there again knowing that there will be traffic around the knee trusting the knee to be that front leg when it's time to set up and throw and that's that's human that's any injury that you have that that's just our nature to protect wounded parts of our bodies and it's going to take him some time to get over that Chris a hundred percent I mean to me this is like one of the 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 biggest things of this weekend like the one thing I I definitely want to see the way Joe Burrow looks because I, I know we've discussed a little bit but probably haven't you know like really dived in dove into this is just the fact that like 
but listen, the, the reports coming out of Cincinnati to, to me are a, a hair alarming. I mean, you know, again, yeah, it's only been eight and a half months since he tore his ACL and his MCL. You know, we talk about a lot like, you know, he's a slippery son of a gun. He is very dependent on that side to side movement and those type of things. And then early on in training camp, you know, he's not practicing well. He doesn't look totally normal here. I mean, that that does not totally look right. When I see little videos like this or pregame warmups last week in the preseason game and all those type of things. So I just what I guess what I'm really saying is, man, I want him to be careful. Man, I want the Bengals to be careful because, Mike, you know, like this, this is with anything in life. When your mental party, he's not going to be 100 percent physically good. But when your mental part is not good, that's that's dangerous on an NFL football field because now you're going like out of your, your first off, you're not playing, you're thinking too much, you're worried about your leg. Oh wait, there's somebody around me. But wait, I, what's the coverage down there? Oh man, I I forgot. I was looking at the guy around my leg. Those type of things. But then you're going so far out of your way to protect that limb or something that. Now you can endanger yourself in other ways just by you're protecting that. Now you might leave yourself vulnerable in other areas. And that's what I get worried about with Joe Burrow. You know, I'm still a little angry about the way they put everything on him last year. And I think they need to be really careful here. And they need to evaluate how this looks, Mike. Because listen, if it doesn't look good and he's still not comfortable after this little, you know, experiment and, you know, it doesn't go well. I, I'm, I'm, I might be one that would say, man, maybe we need to wait a few weeks before we throw him back out there. Maybe we don't throw him out there to week three or four until he really feels confident in that knee and can move around, and then his mental game can also just cut loose and be back to normal too. Uh, I don't know. You feel the same way I do there? I'm reminded of the phrase, this is why we can't have nice things. And when you have a dysfunctional organization that finds itself in a situation like this, does it know how to properly handle it right they stumbled into a great quarterback last year a guy who was willing to come and join one of the most dysfunctional franchises in the national football league and they put him in harm's way excessively last year he suffered the acl tear and i remember when it happened in november we thought we're not going to see him right start of the season right the injury was too serious it's not going to happen don't expect a full year from joe burrow and then we start seeing the videos of the rehab and this presumption begins to grow that joe burrow will be back week one and i remember kind of thinking like okay hey all right adrian peterson did it from christmas eve to week one okay all right i guess and, and then he's not on the pup list to start training camp. Nope. Creates an expectation right. that he's good to go. Right. Maybe they should have had him on the pup list for a little while. If he wasn't going to play in the preseason, right? Oh, you're, you're out. I mean, you can't practice with the team, although wink, wink, nod, nod. <laughs> Tell that to Peyton Manning and the Colts when he was on the pup list. So I, there are ways to get around that if you really want to. But it created that sense that he is fine. Holy crap, he's fine. Oh, he's he's got more arm strength this year. Yeah, that was that one was of the, the storylines when right. when camp opened. Right. So you're 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 this and this is this is the point where the dysfunctional nature of the Bengals comes through. And sorry, Bengals fans, for pointing out the obvious. You root for a dysfunctional team. 
but they put a bar too high for him. Agreed. Which only adds to the stress, which only adds to the strain, which only puts him in a spot where he feels like he has to go forward now, even if he's not ready to do it. It's kind of like the kid who's reluctant to get in the pool. They just shoved him in. Yeah. No, you, they shoved him in. You're right. And, you know, to, to your point with like that first report, hey, he's going to be full go in training camp and, hey, his arm looks more powerful. But right after that became, whoa, Joe Burrow hasn't looked very good in practice. You heard that from all the media outlets and things like that. And then he himself started making comments about how he doesn't feel comfortable and he doesn't feel normal. You know, it's rare that a player like kind of lays it out there like that. You know, when he said that, I went, man, that, that's less than like, man, I'm not 100%. That's like, I'm nowhere near 100%. That's when a player says that. Like, I'm not even close to, you know, hitting on all cylinders and, and giving you my A-plus game. You know, that, so that's where, you know, this is a tough thing. The Bengals, though, their number one asset is Joe Burrow. It's the number one thing. They got to protect him. He's, he's as valuable as the rest of the organization at this point. He really is. Sorry, that's just the way it is when you take the number one pick in the draft as a quarterback, and he's Joe freaking Burrow. They blew it last year by making it too much all about him, right? We're seeing Urban Meyer in Jacksonville go, I mean, really, Urban Meyer is basically what he was saying, and it sounds like he said to the telecast last week, like, I don't want to Joe Burrow Trevor Lawrence and just put the whole game on him because I know he'll try to win every game and put himself in vulnerable positions. And he said he talked to Joe Burrow. What did Joe Burrow say to Urban Meyer? Run the ball and get the ball out of the quarterback's hand quickly, right? So, you know, I guess what I'm saying here more than anything, sorry I went down that wormhole, is just like Cincinnati, don't let one mistake lead into another mistake to where it really ruins your organization. You're not going to win the Super Bowl this year in Cincinnati. We know that. Nobody's expecting you to go to the playoffs, really. Not in that division. So play it slow. This is everything. He's the guy that is going to bring this organization to where they want to go. I believe that. But not if he throw him out here into the wolves again, and then he gets banged up and plays horrible and maybe gets another serious injury. So I think they need to be really careful because we see him do this magical stuff last year, and he's too fun to watch. And this is why he's not confident because of this. This is his game, right? I mean, how many times did we break him down last year? We're like, man, look at this, you know, slippery dude just bouncing around the pocket, making weird throws and things like that. And uh, that's where I worried. I just want the Cincinnati Bengals to, to, to worry a little bit more. And he was fearless, and and yes. it was infectious. Right. And I, I talked to him multiple times last year after wins, and you know he's not worried about getting banged around. He's not worried about getting hurt, and 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 it almost was contagious. Where it it caused me to think, well, you know, maybe he's the exception. Maybe we don't need to worry about him. Yeah. Maybe he does know what's best, and. You know, he, he, he didn't have the right level of self-awareness before he got injured. It seems like he's trying to get to the right level of self-awareness now. And there are forces within the organization that are pushing him into the pool. And, and here's why that's important. And this is really going to make Bengals fans happy. I don't think he has 
committed in his own mind that he's going to spend his entire career with the Bengals organization. I don't think he has. And I know that that may sound sacrilegious when we're talking about any player who's under contract to a team. We're supposed to think they all want to stay exactly where they are for the rest of their careers. A comment was made to me during the offseason as it relates to Joe Burrow that if he was from Athens, Georgia, and not from Athens, Ohio, he would not have gone to the Bengals last year. The fact that he grew up in Ohio was the thing that kept him right. from making the Eli Manning, John Elway power play, that he did indeed consider it. And see, we were talking about back in those weeks before the draft in 2020 that Burrow was thinking about it. Well, then when he said, I'm all in, yeah. you know, the Bengals fans like, see, he never considered it. Just because he resolved it for now yeah. in favor of I'm all in, that doesn't mean he didn't have doubts. He had doubts. And he, more accurately, has doubts. And it would be the height of naivete to think that how the team is shepherding him through this challenge of his professional life isn't going to be a factor in the decisions he makes about his career in the future. Well, I, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if this continues to be somewhat of a disaster through his rookie contract and those type of things, yeah, he will be out of there. You know, but uh, I, I don't know. That's a long way down the road, certainly. But like to what you're talking about and everything, just to tie it like together a little bit, yeah. You know, you're right. I mean, the Bengals have, have been one of the lesser teams in football. You know, they have shown signs of dysfunction at times. And last year, you know, we went through a phase, remember early in the year, where we were like, this is ridiculous the way he was getting hit. Remember the Baltimore game, I believe it was, early last year and some of that? I, I just went, this is like, this is abuse. This is human abuse what they're doing to him right here. You know, dropping back 40 times a game, not a real, I mean, not a run game, no run game, especially when Joe Mixon got hurt. And then, you know, not an offensive, line, an offensive line that can really protect them. Nobody noteworthy on that group to go like, oh, yeah, they're building something. And, you know, hopefully they're in the right direction in that department. But, man, I don't, the Bengals, the, the, really, the, the goal, and I, 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 the goal shouldn't even be worrying about winning games early on in the year. It should be protect Joe Burrow. That is for the greater good of the organization. And I know the coach isn't going to sell that to his players and everything like that. But like coaches on the hot seat. But I know. And that's why coach but that's why games. That's why that but that's why Joe Burrow's in this situation anyways. Because he was feeling the hot seat last year. So they said, damn, let's ride this horse. Maybe he can bring us to the finish line. Well, yeah, you rode him too hard. And now he's got a messed up leg. And now you're going into a real hot seat year for sure where if you don't produce, and you don't have a quarterback that's 100%. And that's where I think, like, Mike Brown's got to get involved here a little bit. You know, we have Mike Ryan, right, our, our, our head, like, trainer, medical expert here for NBC Sports. And he was a Giants trainer, uh, head trainer for a long time, or the, the assistant trainer with the Giants, and then the head trainer with the Jacksonville Jaguars and Tom Coughlin, right, uh, for 20 years. I mean, I've known him since I was a little kid. I had him on the podcast yesterday, Mike, and we talked about Joe Burrow specifically. And out of all the injuries we talked about, Wentz, Dak Prescott, um, who was the other one? Travis Etienne, somebody else, whatever, who the hell cares? But he said at the end of the day, the Joe Burrow injury was the one that he was most concerned about because of the things he was hearing, 
you know, what was being said by the media, what Joe Burrow had said, and yeah, that was the one he had his eye on, especially because of the ACL-MCL combination that really affects the mobility moving side to side. And he said in, in situations like this, hey, this is where the team's got to save the player to a degree. And he said he had a few instances in his career where you know he knew a player was getting close to getting ready to play, but he knew his mental game wasn't right. And he had to go... He's got to defend the player and stick up for the player and go look at, you know, hey, Tom Coughlin, hey, Bill Parcells, this, uh, he's not ready. He's not ready. I'm sorry. Look, I, we've been filming his workouts. Look at it. Do you want to throw him out here on the field and really do this with the way he looks? Do you want to do that? You know, and of course they're going to hem and haw and ah, damn and all those type of things, but they come to their senses. And that's where I just look at Cincinnati and just go, man, they, they, they got to have some grown-ups in the room here to make sure they do the right thing, and I'm going to have my eyes all over this game. This is a Sunday game, right? We got coming up when they play the Dolphins. Uh, yeah, Sunday at 4 p.m. That will definitely be one of the, the highlights of the weekend for me is checking out Joe Burrow. The Bengals have a well-earned reputation for being extremely careful with money, and that attitude manifests itself in all sorts of ways because – you don't have nice things if you're not paying competitive rates for the jobs that you need to ensure that your football team is as good as it can be. And then that number one overall pick falls into your lap and you don't have the infrastructure to properly handle the number one overall pick. Just the mere fact that the Bengals don't like to pay coaches to not work for them, which causes them to keep coaches longer than they should, which may have caused them to keep Zach Taylor a year longer than they should and now has become another ingredient in this toxic stew yeah. of push Joe Burrow into the pool when he's not ready to swim because Zach Taylor needs Joe Burrow or Zach Taylor's far more likely to get fired after this season. It just all goes together. And, and hey, 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 Bengals fans, I didn't make your team dysfunctional. I'm just pointing out the dysfunctionality of it. That's that's the way it is. And, you know, this is one of those conversations that if we didn't put this on the tee and talk it through, we may not have gotten here. And I have one last observation to yeah. make. I had a flashback when you were explaining the credentials and the experience of Mike Ryan right. to a time in the early 90s when he would have been treating an irritation to the foot of Jeff Hostetler and saying to him, this may sound crazy, but did someone put shaving cream in your shoes? So anyway. Yeah, he uh, saw Yeah, he saw pain in the ass Chris Sims at an early age. So he, knows, <laughs> he knows all about uh, me. <laughs> but, but, you know, th this Burrow thing, look, we want Burrow to be successful. We want him to be as good as he can be, but sometimes you got to step back. You can't. You can't have a 1950s Junction Boys attitude right. when it comes to the health of your quarterback and say, get out there and play. Go put your 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 uniform on and, and go work your way through it. That's the only way to get through it is to go out there and play. And, you know, Carson Palmer never really fully elaborated on all of his concerns with the Bengals organization, but I I – I just I I don't like where this is heading, Chris. I, I hear and you, Mike. They, they better they better figure it out. They better have a moment of self awareness, like the rare moment of self awareness Joe Burrow's having, because an athlete's wired to say, "Let's go, let's go, let's go," and you have to protect the athlete from himself. Now, as you pointed out, with the trainer's obligation is protecting the athlete from the organization that is blind to the fact right. that maybe their guy isn't ready to go. Yeah, no, exactly right. That's where, you know, I hope that they can evaluate this and do it the right way. Yeah, it might not be the best thing for your team right at this moment, 
But, man, there's, there's more at play than this moment, way more at play. And, and at this moment, too, like we're getting back to that, this is – nobody's expecting much out of this moment. No, there's no expectations here. We're not looking at, you know, as an AFC North, you know, champion contender here. No way. Not, not in that division. The AFC stacked, as we have talked about. Like, I mean, there's, I just, there's, there's nothing, there's no expectations. So there's no reason to rush it. And, you know, you just go through, you know, most number one picks of all time. You know, yeah, you, you got you to play a certain way to protect them early on in their careers, to save them from themselves, to make sure, you know, you play a right way to protect them, even though it might not be the way you want to play, and it might not totally maximize 100% the best of your team, but you also got to realize, like, man, yeah, I'd like to play this way, but we can't protect the quarterback. We just can't. So we're going to change it up a little bit, and if we have to lose a game or two because of that, then so be it. And they didn't keep their eye on the big prize last year. That's where they went wrong. And now... You know, like you said, Zach Taylor's on the hot seat. You know, he, he's, he's got to worry about himself. So, of course, he wants Joe Burrow out there. I mean, of course he wants that. You know, he's not comfortable with the backup quarterbacks they got there in Cincinnati to think they can do anything remotely near what, what Joe Burrow can do for that organization. So, somebody's got to step in and, you know, save that scenario, too, where it just it, – it's, 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 you know, the head coaches and in, in, in putting the, the, the player in a really tough spot. So, uh yeah, and this is something to meanwhile, watch. Meanwhile, they used the number five overall pick on receiver Jamar Chase and not tackle Penny Sewell, and there's an urgency in the organization to justify that selection. So when Jamar Chase starts dropping passes, yeah. again, this gets back to the amount of resources devoted to the broader support system in place for your players. They need to have a mechanism there to help Jamar Chase not press not overdo it, not get too deep in his own thoughts about securing the football. Instead, right. they feel the same urgency he does because, damn it, if this guy doesn't stop dropping passes like he did three times on Friday night against Washington, we look like morons for not taking Penny Sewell to better protect our quarterback who's coming off of the ACL tear. Now, again, that second drop, that was kind of a hospital ball back in the old days because right. the defensive back would have lit Jamar Chase up. But three drops, more drops on Sunday. We haven't heard about the drops this week so apparently they've subsided but uh it's 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 the Bengals and this is not the year to think that you need to press and you need to push because you got the Browns the Ravens and the Steelers in your division you got a tough conference don't expect to get to the playoffs don't even try just try to get Joe Burrow to the point where next year you can maybe make a push for a postseason appearance all right another team it would be well advised to not overdo it this year in an effort to get to a playoff berth that undoubtedly won't happen. The Jacksonville Jaguars, one of the great mysteries of the 2021 preseason was solved yesterday when, drum roll please, do your drum roll. Do your, do your drum You haven't done it in a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a... <laughs> the Jaguars have announced their starting quarterback for the 2021 season and after much debate and discussion and a competition that went right down to the wire, Trevor Lawrence, congratulations, emerges as the, what a shocker that they're going with the rookie number one overall pick in Jacksonville. He beats out Gardner Minshew, who finally can release his bowels. And that's a comment that he made to Chris Long back in July. Uh, Minshew will be number two after all. 
And Lawrence will be number one, Chris. Yeah, well, I mean, come on. We know. I mean, listen, I don't care how it looked the other night. Like we talked about, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't Trevor Lawrence's fault. Yeah, okay, there's a, not a great throw, but that first throw we threw, he threw on the run to the left. That was damn special. Yeah, he's, you know, not great protection. But the one thing, like, I'm not, Trevor Lawrence has incredible talent. I know that. Just by looking at it, looking at what he did. I mean, things like this. Man, this big sucker moving in the pocket like that. Some of the times when he escaped the pocket and ran and did things like that. This is a special skill set. And, of course, him throwing the ball, yeah, it's not the best decision and throw here. But regardless, I mean, come on. He's on another level compared to Gardner Minshew. Another level. And, you know, this is where I, I think Urban Meyer... He realizes all the things we just talked about with Joe Burrow. I think that's why, you know, again, we were in these conversations about maybe they were hesitant and thinking about, man, is the team good enough? Are we going to screw up Trevor Lawrence early in the year? I don't know if they were letting this drag on just to kind of keep a poker on his butt. They're like, hey, keep learning, keep pushing. You haven't won the job yet. I don't know what they were doing exactly down there. But he's certainly shown that he is a top-flight talent. I don't care what the stats are or anything. It's the look, the preseason. Jacksonville stinks. But I can't imagine, especially Urban Meyer and the fact that we brought up he's talked to Joe Burrow in the offseason. You know, he was Joe Burrow was on his team at Ohio State before he tra- transferred to, to LSU. That that's got to be in his mind. And also, I just think Urban Meyer's too smart to do that to his quarterback, to do what the Bengals did, where he's just going to go, oh, man, we're losing, and I'm going to let Trevor Lawrence throw it 45 times and we're going to try to win this game and do everything we can and just hang Trevor Lawrence out there and dangle him for danger and all those type of things. I don't think he'll do that. I don't. I think Urban Meyer's too smart. He realizes the big picture and how important Trevor Lawrence is to the next two, three, four, eight years for whatever, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I'm glad they just got it over with and, and obviously they feel like he's ready to go. Well, but you raise a great point. Will the Jaguars cause themselves to become deluded to think that they can actually win games. And they have the Texans right out of the gates, and they do have a fairly easy schedule relative to what's coming down the line. And if they could build some momentum and win some games, you know, it would be very easy for Urban Meyer to talk himself into going all in with a Trevor Lawrence offense where the offense runs through Trevor Lawrence. It doesn't seem like that's what they want to do is they scramble to find offensive identity and now they don't have Travis Etienne for the season another first round pick from Clemson that suffered a foot sprain on Monday night and is done for the year they've got James Robinson who was undrafted last year and had a thousand yards rushing and they just need to rely on running the ball running the ball trying to beef up the defense and don't expect your quarterback to do too much otherwise you put him in harm's way and you don't have him for next year and that's when Urban Meyer eventually and inevitably says what in the hell did I get myself into and you know that one look that we show of him on the sideline and who knows what he was thinking or what he was trying to project but there is a little of what in the hell did I get myself into coming through Uh, on that one shot that we showed earlier that we've seen a couple of times this week and we've all been there at some time what in the hell did I get myself into? I'm sure, you know, I'm sure he's had some mornings where he's woken up, woke up and go, damn, I should have stayed at Ohio State. Life was a little easier then. I mean, I had that machine rolling. Uh, yeah, he's going to be frustrated. He's used to dominating. You know, Urban Meyer is one of the greatest coaches in college football history for a number of reasons. Uh, it, it, this is a different ball game. There's no doubt about it. But I still think he realizes the base values of football. 
And I think he understands how to protect his assets and do those things. And I think, like, to what you're saying, Mike, you know, they got, you know, some young offensive linemen who certainly are not great, but they need to work them to get better. They drafted a few, so hopefully they can kind of come together. But they're going to run the ball probably more than people will like at times. You're going to go, damn, would they drop back? But it's going to be more about the big picture. They'll pick the right games when they feel like, hey, wait, we're playing this team. They don't have a great pass rush. Oh, wait, it's late in the first quarter. We're protecting well today. Hey, maybe we can open it up a little bit and do those type of things. You know, so, but Daryl Bevel, he does have a quick, short passing game, certainly. Too much of that, in my opinion. You know, and then you got a, a shot, Brian Schottenheimer, who the one thing I've always liked about Shotty is his run game design and stuff, too. So I hope they can help out Trevor Lawrence there. And I would be shocked if they fall in the trap. And I think I'm, you know, and I just, like I said, I don't want them to Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence. That's, that's something I'll definitely, we'll, we'll both have our eye on that throughout the year. You know, it is funny though, and maybe this is just me, but over the past 15 years or so, I've gotten to the point where when I think of Daryl Bevel and Brian Schottenheimer, I think of offenses that are just mediocre enough to sure. keep you employed for a few years before you're fired, and now they're together in Jacksonville. Yeah, well, the yeah, two kings yeah. of mediocre offense of the last 15 years. Yeah, well, I'm not going to say I'm. You know, I'm not going to argue too much there. I mean, I, I've never been blown away by either one of their offenses. So yeah, we're going to see how this goes. I don't know if Urban Meyer is going to add some of his influence of years and things that he did at the different schools and things like. Like that uh but yes uh, I'm with you I mean I, I when I first saw that I wasn't like oh wow man Trevor Lawrence is really gonna light it up with with that crew no that they, they gotta prove something to me too I mean there's no doubt about it we'll be evaluating them and how they call the games and what they do to help Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars out but uh, I don't think I think there's enough adults in the room there in Jacksonville and in the fact that they're not on the hot seat and everybody knows it's a total rebuild that they will be smart with Trevor Lawrence and realize like the right way to play him, play the game on the offensive side of the ball, play through the defense a little bit. And I, you know, as frustrated as he'll get, he'll realize the big picture. I mean that in Urban Meyer. We know the special teams coordinator is an adult in the room because he refused to put Tim Tebow on the field a single time in the preseason <laughs> opener in any special teams unit. And secondly, I got I got to take issue with one thing you said when we showed the picture of Urban Meyer and the what in the hell did I get myself into look. It's not I should have stayed at Ohio State. I should have stayed at Fox. I should have stayed <laughs> Warm in the cozy. capacity right. where you don't have wins and losses, where you're only judged if you open your mouth and you emit, you know, a babbling like Steve Carell and Bruce Almighty. So you can't go wrong yeah. in TV in comparison to the pressure and the stress of being a coach. He can't so, help it, uh, Mike. Now, he can't help it. He's a drug addict. It's a, it's like a, he's a drug addict. I, you know, and I mean that in a in a nice way. They he he yeah, has to, it's a, you know. I mean that in the nicest you know, way possible. Uh, he's addicted. You're a drug addict, he's and that's a compliment. Yeah. Well, sometimes you know you're you're a little cooler if you are. He, he but no, he's his drug is football. And coaching and competing, he loves that to the point where he gets drugged out and he's like, damn, I need to detox for three years. I mean, that's what he's done a few times. But, uh, yeah, the, you know, you, you know, you, we talk about Urban Meyer, and I know we hit it the other day. He'll learn to control his facial expressions and emotions on the sidelines too, I think, with everybody hearing the talk of everybody this week and realizes he can't shake his head and overreact to every little bad thing that happens to the football team. 
You know, I don't know enough about the drug culture to know the name of the cheapest drug that has the most negative side effects the next morning, but that's the equivalent of the job that he took based upon the quality of the roster and where things stand. Now, Gardner Minshew, not the starting quarterback, shockingly, in Jacksonville. Was this an effort to showcase him? Will they try to unload him? He's got a salary of $850,000, but if he's not content to be in a supporting role and help Trevor Lawrence develop. And if he's constantly thinking that this competition is still going on and screw Trevor Lawrence, I'm not trying to help him. I'm trying to get on the field. What do you do? Do you trade him? Do you keep him? Well, I think that you dangle him out there for teams that might be looking for a backup to go, Hey, he's available. You know, the one thing that jumped out to me, you know, through all their games, I mean, is of course that was on my mind but you know they gave a lot of throws to cj bethard and company too uh to where i started to go man are they are they kind of grooming him and hoping he can be you know the backup and do something for the football team that way so that has crossed my mind and i mean i don't know if it's the dallas cowboys or some other teams that we're not thinking about right now that truly need a backup to where if they made an offer to jacksonville you know, I, I would I would think they're going to seriously look at that. You know, Jake Luton, their other quarterback there, he got to play a little last year. You know, Urban Meyer should know all about C.J. Beathard. He was at Iowa, so he was there, you know, at Ohio State when he was. And, of course, Beathard's been in the Shanahan system, so he knows offense and how to run things, and, and he played a little bit in those type of things too. So, uh, And I also know, I mean, Gardner Minshew, he's no dummy. He's looking at it going, Trevor Lawrence is better than me, so I'm not going to be playing here anytime soon. Maybe I do need to get out of here and try to find another spot or something like that. But I would think if they got the offer they they like that he might be uh, out the door. I think they're stunned that no one has approached them about it. I think one of the factors in this phony quarterback competition was to just try to prop him up a little bit and maybe get a team that is looking for a capable backup yeah, to right. say, maybe this is the guy we need. I mean, you know, even in Seattle – Geno Smith, Gardner Minshew, it's a no-brainer. You, and, and I know that you never need to use the backup to Russell Wilson because he never comes off the field, but there may be a point where he has no say in the matter and he can't play, and you need to have somebody that you feel better about or it all goes down the tubes. And I really do think that's the analysis for a lot of these teams. It's going to go down the tubes if the starter can't play. But there is an exception to that because in Denver – where there was another mystery that was solved yesterday. They feel pretty good about the two quarterbacks that they have. We'll tell you who they picked and react to that when PFT Live continues right after this. There wasn't a lot of separation. You know, they both guys had good camps. Um, they both played well, both had their down moments, both had their good moments. Thought it was good overall for both of them. Uh, we just made this decision. We think it's for the best for the team right now moving forward. But we have two good quarterbacks, two quarterbacks that we can win with. And uh, unfortunately, you can't play with two. I just feel now is the right time. You know, just there is no formula that you go through and enter things in and come up with. We just felt today was the right time for that. Vic Fangio, the Broncos head coach, pulling the sheet off of the decision for 
the starting quarterback to begin the 2021 season. Teddy Bridgewater beats out Drew Locke. And just yesterday, Chris, we both were in agreement that the longer this went, the stronger the sense that Bridgewater was going to win it. And the way that Fangio went on and on about Bridgewater's ability to manipulate the pocket and move around and buy time that way. He had two drives against Seattle on Saturday night, two touchdowns after the game. Bridgewater talked about how his goal is to just lead the unit to the end zone. That's what Bill Parcells, his great mentor, tells him all the time. Well, now he's taking the Broncos into New York to take on the team that Parcells took to a couple of Super Bowl victories to try to get a win right out of the gates when it's Broncos-Giants week one. And that game just got more interesting with Teddy Bridgewater playing quarterback. He was 5-0 in 2019 as a starter with the Saints. Last year with the Panthers, not nearly as good, but not as bad as I think some would think. This is a real opportunity for him. And, uh, you know, no offense to Drew Locke. Sorry, too late for that. But I, I just, you know, how can you not root for Teddy Bridgewater after everything the guy's been through? Yeah, no, I hear you, man. He's, it's like, he's got one of those smiles. It's a million dollar smile. Uh, I do root for him. I really do. You know, do I have some questions about his game and things like that at times? Certainly. But man, I know the person is top notch and he, he is easy to root for to your point. There's no doubt about that. You know, I, you know I, I'm not shocked, yeah, because like what you said, you laid it out there, and, you know, I, I think Monday morning, you know, I would, was that Friday night, that game last week, just watching it? Saturday. Saturday, the way they played, like you said, Vic Fangio, I think Saturday when I was sitting there watching the game, I'm going, man, George Payton's there, he was in Minnesota, oh, this makes too much sense, and, then, and again, I'll, I'll bring up what Adam Schefter said on Monday night, it just all those things, I went, oh, man, it's going to be Teddy. You know, the fact that a defensive player told Schefter that, you know, there's there's uh, Fangio's going to pick the guy that's not going to mess this up because our defense is the real deal. So, you know, that that makes sense. And it makes sense altogether for what they are as a football team. Teddy's the safe pick. There's no doubt about that. He's the safe pick. You know, maybe you know, and if it doesn't work, you can bring Drew Locke and he can be Superman off the sideline at some point during the year. But, you know, I think with the biggest thing here is. I think Fangio's, you know, he's got memories of Drew Locke throwing into triple coverage last year and doing dumb crap like that that he probably can't erase totally out of his brain and doesn't totally trust him. The one thing he knows he's going to get from Teddy is a guy who's played with some experience. He knows how to play the game, not turn it over, not mess it up for the rest of the football team and do those type of things. And I think that's where he looks at Teddy as going, that's the right thing for the way our team is built. We should be able to run the ball. O-line's good. The defense, they think they're going to be special out there. They should be pretty damn good. So it makes sense in, in a lot of ways. And it also resolves, not conclusively, but there were questions about how much influence John Elway had over this decision because Elway clearly would want another year with Drew Locke to vindicate Elway's decision to make Locke a second-round pick back in 2019. Drew Locke hasn't had a chance. Drew Locke needs an opportunity. Drew Locke needs a third season. What do you expect? Not every quarterback is me. Some of these guys need some time to get to the point where they can be as good as they can be. So I think his influence dramatically diminished in Denver. Otherwise, Drew Locke would have been the starter, given how close the competition was. George Payton, the history of Teddy Bridgewater, no history with Drew Locke, the desire to have a guy who's got a higher floor. Drew Locke yeah. may have the higher ceiling. That's right. Broncos want the higher floor. 
they're pivoting away from the if we can't beat them, let's try to outscore them mode of the past couple of years in in beefing up their offense. They're hoping that with a healthy Bradley Chubb and a healthy Vaughn Miller, maybe that'll be enough and you have balance on your team and you're not trying to score 40 points when you know the Chiefs are going to score 37. You hope you can hold them in the 20s and you can emerge with one or two more points than they can score. Yeah, I mean, that's right. And then, you know, and then again, if they start to feel like, wow, okay, wait, you know, our defense is good, but maybe not playing as good as we thought. And we've left some plays and yards on the field, you know, getting back to your comment, I think you're saying it exactly right. Drew Locke definitely has the, the higher ceiling, you know, to where if they start to feel like, damn, we, we, you know, we lost to the Chiefs 27-20, but there was like three plays, four throws on the field that we would have won if he just would have thrown it and done those type of things then maybe that you see Drew Locke at some point. But I totally understand it. You know, you explained it perfectly. Vic Fangio is a defensive head coach. And really, defensive head coaches, they want a quarterback that's not going to screw the game up for their defense. Bottom line, you know, and I think that's where they're going to err on right now. They don't want to start early season Drew Locke, I'm guessing, and – yeah, you know, he takes a few chances against the Giants and then another chance here and there the next week and all of a sudden they're one and two and one and three because they went with Drew Locke because, yeah, he's got more talent, but he's not taking care of the ball and doing those type of things. And I think he's still, you know, Vic Fangio's still burned by some of those things that Drew Locke did last year, and that's why he's, he's going Teddy Bridgewater. And this ain't the 85 Bears. If you notice that graphic we put up, the defense has plenty of issues. It hasn't been what it needs to be the offense hasn't been horrible it's been bad last year 10th in offense 30th in defense so but you uh, know again look, that, it's, it's misleading too a little bit you know that's where people got the 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 offense stunk at certain points and things like that so the defense is on the field constantly or they're behind you late. see that three that's not 20th that's 30th yeah i know i don't I know, know how many I don't know. I don't. I mean, now look, you could you could have an offense that generates a ton of yards, but turns the ball over every single possession. Uh, but still, your defense has got to bow up at some point and be higher than thirtieth. Yeah, no, that, and that's scoring defense, right? I think uh, total defense they were twentieth in football. But you're right. There's issues there. But of course, they're going to be healthy this year. You know, Chubb, Von Miller, they're back. They made adjustments to their secondary with getting Kyle Kyle Fuller from Chicago. The other corner, they got what uh, Ronald Darby out there. I mean, Justin Simmons. There's a lot of things, I think, on paper to think this is going to be a little bit of a different defense altogether. You know, I, I, I don't think those numbers truly show quite how good the Broncos defense is. I, I think it's always a little bit misleading because of, yeah, schedule, the way they played in some games, getting down and those type of things. I hear you. I'm just saying I think it's a little bit better than the numbers are, are showing. That's all I'm saying. Let's hear from the two guys who were the finalists for the gig of starting quarterback in Denver, Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke, after the decision was made on Wednesday. I was very excited. Um, you know, I'm just... Happy that I get an opportunity, um, you know, happy that, uh, you know, I get to just continue to lead, you know, be the, the same guy that I am today uh, and the same guy that I was yesterday. Um, it's an opportunity for us to just grow, continue to continue to grow as a team. And I'm looking forward to that. You know, it's disappointing. Um, every feeling that you could possibly have at this point in this day and this, this circumstance, you know, they're running deep. Um, you know, I feel like at the time I was playing some some of the best football I've played 
since I've been in the league. I was more confident than I'd ever been, and most of you guys think of me as a confident guy, but I was probably more confident than I've been, you know, since I've been in the league and this OTAs, this training camp, you know, this preseason, and this, you know, such a special team. I was, you know, hoping and looking forward to being able to lead this team, but, you know, no finger pointing, no negativity. It's going to be about me finding ways to still, you know, make this team great, whether that's, you know, in practice, working with Teddy, trying to find ways for him to get better, whatever he needs me to do. Man, Drew Locke was uncomfortable. He's hurt, right? That. You and can see it. He I, is hurt. I, I Look, when, when I hear the words, and I know that he's feeling down in that moment, and I don't know, you know, the, given the pandemic, there's a lot of flexibility as to when and how you make guys available, and I guess I credit the Broncos for putting both of those guys out there yesterday after the decision was made. Maybe you want to give Locke a day to digest it before you put him in front of the cameras and the microphones, just saying, but be ready. Because if Teddy stinks, you're playing. No doubt. Not, well, you know, I was really looking forward to leading this team. When he said that, my first reaction was, you still may. Yeah, that's right. A lot of times when we get these quarterback competitions, the winner, you know what the winner wins? The winner wins the first opportunity to be benched. That's what he wins. Congratulations. You're going to be the quarterback until the end of September when we bench you because we suck. Yeah. That's what may happen. Yeah. So don't. Don't don't exhale and take your uniform off and think you're going to be holding a clipboard. You may be playing. You keep your ass ready because you may be out there. That's the first thing I say to him when he steps away from the podium yeah. after saying what he said yesterday, Chris. I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, that somebody does need to give him a little pep talk. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, he's hurt. I understand that too. I mean, yeah, it's it's tough. He's put he puts his life into it. You know, you could tell by all the stories we heard in the offseason that he was trying to change, you know, his approach to the game mentally, physically, really learn it, do all the little things the right way and those type of things. You know, he probably looks at himself and goes, wait, I'm better than Teddy. Yeah, but, you know, you did some things that I think scarred your coaching staff a little last year. Just, you know, too loose, too loose with the ball and those type of things. But you're exactly right. He needs to have the attitude of like, you know, you know, F you, if I get back in there, I'm going to show all you what I really got here. And you just got to be like chomping at the bit for that opportunity. You know, again, I can't, I did, my career was nothing special, but in year two of my career, I can tell you that, you know, I wasn't in a quarterback battle, but John Gruden and the coaching staff behind closed doors was telling me, you know, hey, be ready. We might need you early in the year. It was Brad Johnson and those type of things. And, you know, I felt like, hey, I'm, I'm outperforming Brad in the preseason and in, and in the practice and all those things. You know, maybe, you know, I need to get in there a little earlier. And I just, you know, again, not that I'm anything special or anything, but that, that, that was at least my mindset. Man, when I get in there, I am going to kick some ass. That's really what I kept saying. I'm going to show this little 5'8 MFer over here that I'm the damn quarterback, <laughs> you know? And I, 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 I did. I, you know, week four, I got out there. I took by the bull by the horns. And, man, we went right down the New Orleans Saints, scored two touchdowns, and then I got blindsided by Will Smith and separated my damn shoulder, and I was out for a bunch of weeks. So, But, yeah, you're right, Mike. That's the proper pep talk that somebody's got to give him, whether that's Shermer, Mike Munchak, whatever. It's like, hey, buck up, Bart. This is the NFL. Let's go. You're probably going to be needed at some point. So be ready when that time comes. Don't, you know, sulk and, and, and be all disappointed and all that kind of crap. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. And the organization needs to have that sensitivity because they're going to need him at some point. It's a 17-game season. You're going to need him at some point. And if it's so close that Fangio would like to use both of them, Teddy Bridgewater's not going to have a huge margin of error. And I, I think of how will Mac Jones sound if the decision ultimately is that Cam Newton is the week one starter. I don't think Mac Jones no, is going to sound right. like Drew Locke sounded no. because Mac Jones knows he's getting a chance at some point. And I think even though it's a great story for Teddy Bridgewater, it's five days short of the fifth-year anniversary of the tearing of that knee that he's all the way back and he's a starter in Denver and he won a competition where the job wasn't given to him and this is great, but it's not permanent. It's not the closer the battle, the less permanent the decision is. And that's what Drew Locke needs to understand. Yeah, he's going to be playing at some point this year. I'll be shocked if he's not playing in a meaningful spot at some point this year. Okay, we've had one quarterback competition that we knew the outcome. Trevor Lawrence, we had another one resolved that we didn't know the outcome in Teddy Bridgewater. There's another one still pending, and the coach involved has a pretty good idea of who the starter is going to be. Which way is your guy, Kyle <laughs> Shanahan, leaning? We'll try to decipher that when PFT Live continues right after this. Um, I got a pretty good idea, but as you guys can see with everything, I don't, I'm not a big, I don't know our schedule a couple days from now. Um, so I got a, I've always had a pretty good idea. Um, but you know, there's lots of days between now and then at every position. But I mean, I won't say it, but that is a fact. Like that is a fact. What do you gain by not naming a starting quarterback at this time? Um, I look at more as what do you gain by naming it? You know, there would be one reason I can think of by naming it that would help and be to end those questions. Um, if you could give me another reason that's a big advantage that helps our team, affects anything that has to do with us, then I will name it. But I don't think it does. And, um, you know, why tell people? I know you guys have, I know you guys want an answer and stuff, which is fine. I get the suspense of it, but I mean, I'm not just going to answer it to end your guys' suspense. So. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, I'll try to get you more clicks. Got to keep the juggernaut that is the Detroit Lions in the dark as long as possible. That's the week one opponent for the San Francisco 49ers. So they don't know. We don't know. No one knows. But Kyle Shanahan has a pretty good idea who the starter will be week one. Did you read anything into his comments to give you an idea as to where he's leaning? No. You know, Mike, I, I think I've been like uh, – I, I, from the get-go, I thought it would be Jimmy Garoppolo with a package of Trey Lance plays, right? Right off the bat. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo's in a tough spot. I do, I do think that. But that's where I always thought it would go just because of like all the things we talked about through the draft process. Trey Lance hasn't played enough football. You just can't put him on the bench all year and go, well, it's another year of you not playing football. He's got to get out there. He's the number three pick and all of those type of things. He does have a special skill set. I have no lean there. I do believe Kyle in the fact that Kyle, he when he said, like, I don't know the schedule three days from now, that, that's the way he operates. You know, he's got a little bit of that, like, 
to your point that you always said, that Bill Belichick, like, here's today, I'm going to dominate today, this is what I got on my plate, I'm going to do everything to dominate today, and then at the end of today, I'll start thinking about tomorrow just a little bit, and I'm going to dominate tomorrow. He doesn't let the cart get in front of the horse too much as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I do believe him that he's got a pretty good idea and those type of things, no doubt about it. And, hey, here's the other thing too, Mike. I mean, we've yet to see one quarterback design run in preseason, right? I mean, I, I think that's there's a reason for that, as we talked about a little last week. There's a reason because he's waiting to unveil all his new magic tricks in week one and two against Detroit and Philadelphia, and he's going to – you know, try to shock them with things that they are not prepared for. And that's what I expect to see. And then, yeah, so I, that, that's where I think this is going to go. Jimmy's going to start. Trey is going to come in and have a handful of plays and series every game. Well, Kyle Shanahan isn't the only one who has a pretty good idea as to where this is going. Jimmy Garoppolo spoke to reporters yesterday, and he was asked the same question. Do you have a pretty good idea as to where it's headed? Let's have a listen to Jimmy G. Oh, yeah, I have a pretty good idea. <laughs> when you're smiling about it, that must mean something, right? Uh, it's whatever he decides, yeah. I'll, uh, <laughs> I, I, I have a pretty good idea. I'm pretty happy with where I'm at right now and everything, and just the offense as a whole. Uh, but, yeah, Kyle's the head man. He'll make a call. There was more that Garoppolo said. I'm going to read it to you yeah, here. Go because ahead. There was a question good. that was posed to him. About Drew Brees, now with NBC, long time, obviously with the Saints, at practice recently, conversation after practice between Brees and Garoppolo. And the way the question was set up, I believe the intent was to ask Garoppolo if he asked Brees about his experience last year or two with the Chargers when team drafts Phillip Rivers and you're the odd man out eventually, which is what happened with Breeze, and it, hell, it was the best thing that ever happened to him from a football standpoint. He became right. one of the great quarterbacks of all time in New Orleans. And instead of answering that question, here's what Garoppolo said. We talked about the situation for a little bit and how him and Taysom did it. And when I saw that, I thought, wait a minute. I don't think the question was about Drew Breeze the past couple of years. I thought it was about Drew Breeze and Phillip Rivers. Right. And it's a thing that I wasn't really used to, I guess you could say, just the in and out part of it. So I was trying to pick Drew's brain, how he handled that. He'd come out for a play or two and then go back in, how all that works. And then Garoppolo was asked what specific advice Breeze gave, and Garoppolo said, I'll keep that between him and me, but just kind of stay ready. It's a different type of flow to the game. As a quarterback, you're used to being out there the whole time, so it's just something you've got to get reps and get used to it. It happened a little bit in training camp with some of the different types of things we're doing with Trey. Whenever I'm out there, I'm ready to roll. It's just one of those things. It is what it is. That makes it as clear as it can be right? where this is heading. Yeah, Jimmy G's the starter. But don't get comfortable because you're going to be coming to the sideline. You're going to be getting your cardio during the games by running to and from the sideline when I put Trey in, and I'm going to put him in whenever I feel like it. You just need to be ready for that. That's the transition that Jimmy Garoppolo is going through this year. Yeah, no, it, it, I mean, that was the biggest inkling we've had out of anything out of the, the 49ers, this whole training camp. So I, I think that says a lot. Listen, I'm one that will sit here and to a degree, I just go, just go with Trey Lance and go. Like, but uh, there's obviously something, you know, uh, again, I don't know everything. We're not seeing practice. I don't know those type of things. I can say the one thing that we've seen is I don't know if you can totally trust Trey Lance in must-throw type of situations, which is probably what scares him 
I, I think, to make him the full-time starter. But, yeah, they're going to go with this. And, of course, you know, I think Shanahan can pull this off to a degree. I, I do. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy G's solid. We know that. And now you bring in the Trey Lance aspect and all those schematical things that he'll be able to bring. You know, Steve Samuel's going to be flying one way and he's going to be given to the running back this way. And maybe he comes out the back door with the ball that way. And I mean, so they're going to have a lot of things going on. And uh, but I think at the end of the day, they got to get Trey Lance in there to a degree. He can't sit on the bench. So uh, I, this is going to be really interesting to see. It's very rare, you know, right, Mike? I mean, they have, see a team that we go. They're a Super Bowl caliber team, and they're in this situation. I mean, I guess the Saints are the only team we've really seen like this, but this is like the number three pick. This isn't Taysom Hill, the experiment with a guy that's coming to the end of his career like Drew Brees. This is a guy that's Jimmy Garoppolo is in the prime of his career, and this is the number three pick, and there's just a few more factors to go along with this. That's the fundamental difference here. Drew Brees was getting toward the end of the line. The right. arm strength wasn't there. Next-gen stats the other day, the morning after the Saints-Jaguars game, when Jameis Winston threw that touchdown, 53 yards in the air the ball went. That was the longest throw by any Saints quarterback since 2016. Right. I mean, everybody knew that if you want to get the ball down the field, you got to get Taysom Hill out there. That's why they did it. And I'm sure that's the conversation that, Sean Payton and Drew Brees had very candidly wanted to start because if you're a franchise quarterback, you don't want to come off the field. You're competitive. You want to be on the field every play, but it's in the best interest of the team. If you just can't muscle the ball down the field, you can make all the other throws. You can run the offense to perfection. You can be one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history, but if the ball needs to get 50 yards down the field, they need Taysom Hill to do it. Yes. This is different. It this is. is guy who's supposed to be in his prime. This is guy who who's making $25 million under the contract that was signed several years ago, which made him the highest paid player in the league at the time. Didn't last long, but that's how it was at the right. time. I, th this is a, there's a different vibe. There and, is. And Mike, let me just say, this is the conscious transition. It, here's what they're going to do. It's not going to be either or. It's going to be both. And I think it's going to be more and more Trey as he shows the ability to execute the offense and less and less Jimmy. And it's just going to be one day that it's not Jimmy at all. I, I, that's where I'm, I'm with you there, Mike. I, I'm with you. I'm glad that's where I was, I was kind of going because I think like, you know, you laid out all the differences. You're exactly right. And then here's one more difference that I think even puts more pressure on the situation for it to swing what you're talking about. You know, in New Orleans, Drew was the man. The fans weren't clamoring for Taysom Hill. This is not the case out there. The whole country is clamoring for Trey Lance. I mean, nobody even wanted to talk about his bad plays the other night. Most TV shows I watched and everything talking about football, they didn't even mention him. Like, it didn't happen. He struggled a little early, but he was awesome. Let's go back to the awesome late against the third stringers. So Jimmy G is in a no-win situation here. To, and, and that's, yeah, I think that's another big factor to all the things you said is there's going to be – just you know, Drew. Drew, if he threw an interception or something like, that, nobody was going to be like, "Oh, Taysom Hill needs to go in." Drew was the man, the freaking man. So we didn't worry about if he threw an interception. Jimmy Garoppolo, on the other hand, in this situation, he has a bad series or two, and like you said, then Trey Lance comes in and has a few exciting plays and all that. They're going to boo Jimmy Garoppolo off the field, and that's where you know it's going to get interesting. And uh, I'll be certainly watching closely to see how this is all handled. I think one of the things the 49ers have been waiting for, because I think whatever they want to do, whatever their plan actually is, 
they were never just going to throw Jimmy Garoppolo overboard because there's value in the asset, in the contract, in the ability to trade him in the event that some other team experiences a catastrophic quarterback injury in the days leading up to the season. I go back to five years ago, Teddy Bridgewater. The moment he's down, the Vikings are desperate, and the Eagles get a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick for Sam Bradford. At a time when everybody accepted Sam Bradford's the starter for 2016 and Carson Wentz is the future. They did not hesitate to flip the switch to Carson Wentz when they could get a one and a four for Sam Bradford. If, assuming that that's Kyle's plan, assuming that, hey, it's Jimmy G with doses of Trey Lance like Drew Brees and Taysom Hill the past couple of years. If that catastrophic injury happens, and I'm going to name names, there's 31 other teams. If the starting quarterback is gone like that, because of a torn ACL, a ruptured Achilles, anything that would knock him out for the year, and somebody makes an offer for Jimmy G, do you think they take it and say, we're, we're willing to pivot to a different plan and go full-time Trey Lance if we can get a second-round pick, a first-round pick, some sort of value for Jimmy Garoppolo? I think they would. I would. And again, I got no inside info. I mean, so I just want to make that clear again, okay? No idea. No, but I think they would. I, I yeah. I, I think like the way you lay that out there, right there. If they were going to get something of that type of value, a second round pick, really got a team desperate. We know they just traded away all these picks last year in the draft and those type of things. That might be something they do. Again, that's where I I get into Shanahan and you know I mean yeah of course I'm rooting for Kyle and the 49ers and what they do and that's why sometimes I just go. You know, I do. Th- I have ultimate confidence in Kyle and his ability to game plan, no matter who the quarterback really is. I mean, again, except Nick, Nick Mullins. Well, but here to this, this is where this Nick Mullins. If you remember his first sixteen starts, second most passing yards in the history of the NFL, second most. And now that was all smoke and mirrors, smoking mirrors. It was beyond smoke and mirrors. It was a mirror that was smoking. Because Nick Mullins is not good. I mean, that's literally – I mean, Nick Mullins, I don't know if he's going to make the Eagles and be on a team this year. But Shanahan's that awesome to make everybody think like, whoa, he's, this is chicken salad. And I was always like, man, no, it's chicken you-know-what. It ain't chicken salad. Shanahan's just freaking amazing and can get people open. So that's where sometimes I come out and just go, man, rip the mandate off, start the Trey Lance era, stop all the clamoring with the fans and all that and putting Jimmy G in a bad spot. Uh, but, but obviously I don't think it's going to go that way. And Jimmy G seems very comfortable with the way he was in that press conference that, you know, one, as a player, you get a feel from practice and how it's being run where you stand. No matter what you're not or being told or whatever, you start to get the clues just on the reps and things like that. And I'm sure he's been going with the ones all the time. Every now and then they put Trey Lance in with the ones. And if the media and there's no fans there, they probably break out some of the crap that they're going to break out early in the season with Trey Lance as far as the run game design, the Lamar Jackson runs and all those type of things. And uh, it seems like, yes, it's going, it's going that way. You mentioned Nick Mullins with the Eagles. It occurred to me last Thursday night during the Eagles-Patriots game that Nick Mullins – had a much easier time completing passes to Eagles players when he was the quarterback of the 49ers and they were facing Philadelphia on a right. Sunday that night was last, last year. year. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's take a break. A little fill in the blanks when we return. Plus, a retired quarterback who potentially could be back. He was on a football field. Oh, we'll here he goes. Here goes Florio. Right after this. Uh-oh. 